Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Dan Schabell. Dan is a New York Times bestselling author, and he is the managing partner of Workplace Intelligence. Dan's writing has appeared in Time Magazine, The Economist, The Harvard Business Review, The Guardian, Forbes, and Fortune. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dan. So happy to be here with you. I want to kick us off with the subtitle from your book, Back to Human. That subtitle is How Great Leaders Can Create Connection in an Age of Isolation. Why and what do many leaders not understand about the power of creating connection and what are some ways we can get better at it? It's a great question. So basically what I noticed before the pandemic, of course, so many more people are working remote and leading remote teams now, but before the pandemic, you know, I noticed that we were becoming more decentralized, more and more people were choosing flexible work and engagement was still very low. In fact, if you look at the recent Gallup polls, they're very similar to the Gallup polls that I've been looking at for many years. About 80% of people are disengaged or actively disengaged. And it, really, if you ask for a pulse of how people are feeling over the past few years, people not only feel disengaged, they're unhappy, and a lot of people are quitting their jobs. You know, we've seen, you know, tens of millions of people quit their jobs over the past year or so. So I think that people are looking for purpose and connection at work, not just a paycheck anymore, especially because people bring their work home with them because home is work for a good percentage of the working population. I call it knowledge workers, right? Mm -hmm. uh, people who can work remote. And so when we think about leaders, I think this is kind of a new skill set. It's not like you, you know, or you didn't at least used to go to school and learn how to be a remote leader or manager, right? So this is a new scale. So of course, some of the same aspects of leadership apply, but I think other, you know, abilities are more important now than they ever used to be because, you know, a lot of people have been suffering over the past few years. So I have a whole chapter called lead with empathy. And I think mm -hmm. that what we're noticing as uh, more leaders are asking people how they're feeling, not just what they're working on. And I think that, that those type of conversations, the human conversations are more important. And, and if you look at what people are looking for when selecting what company to work for and what company to stay with, safety, security, you know, relationships, learning, all of these things are right at the top. Right. And I think flexibility is also right at the top as well over other things that, you know, people kind of either take for granted or are not as a big a priority. And I think it's because, you know, when you've gone through a pandemic for, for a few years, when you feel very isolated, lonely, when you're trying to, you know, catch up and, and be a contributor within your company, especially remote, Maslow's hierarchy of needs really shines through, you know, and I think that. You know, it's called Back to Human. That's the title. You said the subtitle because, you know, we have to really get back to the the core of what makes us, you know, humans at work, right? And the whole idea is that we need to unlock uh, people's um, or, or support people from a human level so we can unlock their workplace productivity and allow them to be the best contributors possible because if they don't have a good relationship with their manager, if a leader... Uh, is not very engaging and doesn't check up on people and service people's human needs, 
then you're not gonna be able to retain them and it'll hurt your company culture and corporate culture when it when we talk about a decentralized workplace is much harder to facilitate because there's no space anymore everything's virtual so you're really relying more on a leader's ability to connect inspire empathize and support a worker when I was diving into your uh, bio in preparation for this, um, I read that you've led over 60 research <laughs> studies uh, focused on generations, the future of work, and economic trends. Um, I hate to put you on the spot so early in the conversation, but if you had to talk about the one study that you think has influenced your future work the most, is there one study that you've done that, that pops out that had a real impact on everything that came after it? I, I think it's hard to say. I think the first study was an analysis of 4 million Facebook profiles for hmm. you know people who are Gen, Gen Y or millennials, however you term it. And so that kind of influenced and, and showed me what could be done and how research could be kind of embraced by the wider population because that one went viral, you know, it was in the Today Show is everywhere. So that kind of inspired the, you know, every subsequent one. And I think for that one, one of the big findings was that and this was a long time ago. This is very common now. To even say the stat, it's like not surprising at this point in 2022, had, you know, eventually heading into 2023. But it was like, you know, the average millennial had about 16 of their coworkers as friends on Facebook. Hmm. And so that is kind of like this early thinking that I had of, oh, like work and life are so blended. And now, like, of course, in today's world, that, that's become way more clear. But like, I remember back then the funny thing that happened was it was like a UK worker was like really upset with their boss and she posted how, you know, how much she disliked her boss, but she forgot that her boss was her friend on Facebook. And I'll always remember, I use that in every presentation, but it, right now it's like, you don't see that. There hasn't been anything like that happening again, because we just know like you're either going to separate work and life or try to, or or just be more aware and conscious of that being happening. But yeah, no, it's been, you know, 62 studies with three more coming out this year. And, mm. and I think that my favorite question out of all those studies, I really love this question because it really just says a lot. And I'm going to be asking this question again. I, I won't say when, but I just, I've always loved this one. It's, you know, if pay was consistent, how many days a week would you work? Mm. And it, we went from zero to five. And only 2% of respondents worldwide said zero days. Hmm. And so I don't know what's going to be like this time around, but to me, that was really interesting because it communicated to me, people want to work, but the most popular day that was selected was four days a week. Hmm. People want to work, but not five days a week, right? And so one of the things I've been looking at now when it comes to like leaders and how people are making decisions about human capital at work is a lot of companies want to go three to five days in the office, but if you ask almost any worker, it's two or fewer days. So it's, mm. it's, there's this big argument going on in the workplace of like how many days is too much or too little. Do you think we get resolution to this weird middle ground that we're in now where some companies are trying different experiments of, you know, coming to the office three days a week, but we're going to tell you what the three days are or pick the three days a week or come in four days a week, but it changes every week. Do you think there's going to be resolution over the next couple of months? Or do you think we're just in a um, period of constant experimentation? 
constant. I think that's exactly how I describe it okay. to clients all the time and leaders is yes, it's, it's going to be experimentation to see what works because especially with larger companies, you can imagine it's like you have different departments, you have different countries. There's so many different aspects uh, to leading those teams and making those type of decisions. So I think it there, we are in a period, I don't know how long it'll take. It could six months, a year, it could be longer than that. But I do think that an organization's goal, especially with like larger, more established ones is to have something that's more consistent because I think from a worker standpoint, uh, people want flexibility, but they also want structure. So I think what we're going to land on is structure, but with flexibility. And, and that will, that will look different for different organizations, different industries, companies in different countries. But I think that that will be really what people focus on because that's what people are looking for, whether they admit it or not. I think the structure is really important. That's why I think that the nine to five workday has it was a thing for so long, and now it's broken down more. And 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 you know, some people are working, starting to work later, and then stop working later. And it's kind of all all over the place. A lot of people doing four day work weeks. It's experimentation, but yeah, structure with flexibility. Flexibility is not going anywhere. That'll always be important to everyone because over the past few years, is I don't know if you recognize, I worked from home for like eleven years. Hmm. Is people have embraced aspects of remote work that has has given them more time with family and friends, lower commute time, allowed them to do more personal things. And I do think that people naturally want that because it's not like when you're five years old, you don't want freedom and flexibility. Hmm. One so thing that, so th those are basic things that people want and now they can get it. And so they'll continue to want it. Makes a lot of sense to me. And one thing that I've noticed in my personal career is I think back to if I was just starting out of school and the pandemic had hit and I had gone you know, remote and I never had that culture that I built in the office, I feel like I would have felt like I really missed something. So how do you suggest organizations deal with the fact that the individual who's a little bit later in their career, they already have connections, they might have a family, they might live out in the suburbs and have a little bit more of a commute, they might be much more interested in five days a week at home. And the person who's living in the city has never built relationships, they're early in their career, and they want that culture of the office and the camaraderie. How do you suggest organizations manage that divide? And I think you nailed it. That is the divide. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of the tech companies that saw there was a, a, a period where commercial real estate really took a dive and companies like the Googles, the Metas and other tech companies swooped in and, and, and took those leases for cheap because they know that young people want to be in cities. And so they want to provide offices for them in those cities, especially because cities, a lot of the time is, you know, I don't know if you've ever lived in a city, but, you know, usually very expensive, usually, yeah. you know, especially in New York, you know, you know, studios, like, you know, a few hundred square feet, right? So people are more inclined to leave their apartment because, you know, it's like claustrophobic in there. So I, I, you know, I think that's natural because if you think about a young person, they're, they're a lot, you know, going from college to career like people want, still want that social life. If you're used to like going down the hall and like knocking on friends' doors and, and you know, meeting up and communicating with them or going for lunch with them, and then you're working from home and you're not having physical connection to your coworkers, I mean, that's such a divide. I mean, that's not going to really work well. People, you know, view their job as kind of an extension of their school experience and want that social mm -hmm. aspect. So that's why I don't think that's going anywhere. But I do think, I do think that, um, you know, I, I do think that 
you know, older workers, like who, especially millennials now, who are now becoming older workers, a lot of them have already relocated, bought houses mm -hmm. and had children during COVID. And so they're less likely to move. And therefore, you know, they're more likely to change jobs for more a job that provides more flexibility. One of the questions that we got from a listener in preparation for this show was, what do you think that most leaders are unprepared for? Or asked another way, what do most leaders and maybe most organizations underinvest in given the challenges or maybe even the opportunities ahead over the next couple of years? I think a lot of the investments are going to come in the form of technology. I just think that it's not like the workplace is demanding less now it's actually going to be demanding more yet it's becoming harder to fill jobs within organizations you still have a, over 10 million unfilled jobs and so i think that there's going to continue to be this investment in, in automation collaborative tools and technology that can help facilitate the decentralized workforce and eliminate some of the tasks that workers don't want to do and some of the roles that are just not being filled uh, to be able to grow as, as organizations. So I think leaning more on the technology aspect, but also being human and, and understanding who does what, uh, whether, you know, every year we do a study with Oracle about humans and technology in the workplace. And so that's kind of what we've been investigating is, you know, humans, what are they really good at? They should lean into that. And then everything else should be automated. Um, a frequent theme that has come up already in this conversation and definitely comes up in your work is adapting to trends. The The starting point would be identifying the trend. So what sort of advice do you have for leaders who want to be seen as innovative and forward thinking when it comes to trend spotting? I think the only way to do it is to live and breathe it and to, to experiment and to, you know, join different associations, connect with your peers on LinkedIn, like you need to put the effort in because for me, it's been, you know, seven days a week for, I don't know, you could, you could say 10 year, 10 or 11 years officially, 15 years unofficially, because I was working at a corporate job while moonlighting as I was building the business. So you have, it has to be what you do. You have to almost not think about the trends because you're just living the trends. You're experimenting with the trends. You're having conversations around them. It has to be part of your daily activities. It has to be built in your schedule uh, because things are changing fast, but also are happening slowly. Meaning like we know that, the, you know, we're going to be, you know, working more in the metaverse and using some of these newer technologies going forward, but it is going to take a while, but wrapping your head around it now is going to only prepare you. And, uh, and then again, using like, chatbots and other tools that are going to help create more efficiencies in the day, uh, whether you're, whether you're using them five days a week or not, like it's about the experimentation to under, to truly understand the trends. And one of the, one of the big things that's, that's happening with this work life blend is that the tools and technologies you're using in your personal life as a consumer, socially, hmm. a lot of those tools are going to be used for, for professional reasons. So again, it's like trying to adopt these things and how they can benefit your personal life because you're more than likely be going to use a corporate version in your work life. Interesting. What do, Are there trends that you believe people are overhyping or spending too much time on right now? I think a lot of, I mean, a lot of the trends are kind of continuous. So employee monitoring, employee mm -hmm. activism with employees engaging in political and social commentary and expecting more of their leaders and organizations, 
uh, hybrid work, remote work. I think that's here to stay. Uh, looking at you know different ways people want to get paid, pay transparency. So uh, is it overblown? Uh, we're trying to investigate this whole idea of people not wanting to work because there's a lot of people saying that. The numbers sort of look like that, even though I think it's kind of, um, you know, the skills gap. I, I think that some people just don't have the skills and there's other aspects like, you know, immigration, et cetera. So we're trying to investigate whether that's true or false and, and what's really going on in the employment landscape. Is it overblown or not? It could be overblown, but I think it, it requires a lot more work to really investigate you know, what's actually happening in, in the economy when it comes to the job numbers, because I've never seen anything like this, <laughs> you know, and you experience it too. Like you do yeah. feel it when you go to like a restaurant, it's hard, you know, everyone has a like looking to hire people sign outside or now hiring and, you know, they're stealing, you know, you know, one restaurant is walking over to another restaurant and it's trying to steal their help for a dollar more an hour. Like, so we're trying to figure out what, where's, why is this happening? Because at least in my lifetime, I've never seen it before. So, you know, that could be overhyped, but you're, we're also seeing it and feeling it. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I, there's nothing that I would pinpoint as being too overhyped. I think there are things that are kind of in your face, like remote work. But then I think there are other trends like, you know, remote learning that has been built off remote work. And I think that there's, you know, I think that in terms of priorities that people, they've changed for people. And I think that when an organization tries to recruit or retain, it needs to kind of communicate these new priorities as a way to market and, and attract. How do you think you've changed the most as a researcher and as a writer over the years? I think I've changed the most because I've done so much, it's thousands of articles, it's 62 research studies, you have three books. It's, you know, I'm about to, I know you're hitting your like hundredth podcast. I'm, I'm releasing my 200th podcast, wow. but I've interviewed about 3000 people in 15 years. Wow. So it's just been a ton of content. So I think, I think I've changed because I mean, my comfort, like I was nervous interviewing people up until 2021. So it's, this is like a new for me to not like, I am very desensitized. Like I could mm -hmm. talk to, you know, Matthew McConaughey who was on my podcast and it just doesn't even phase me anymore. <laughs> so, so I, but it took so many years to do that. So I think that it's a, it's a level of comfort. You know, it's, I've spoken at over 200 conferences. I don't really get nervous on stage anymore. So I think that that's the biggest change over the past several years is a level of kind of comfort and connecting the dots. I think that's where the value really comes in. I kind of have a pulse on what's going on. And because I've, I have all these data points and articles and I've interviewed so many people. I can, I can know what to ask and, and where to go with certain things in a way in which someone who, or, or where, when I was first starting, I wouldn't be able to do it. I used to interview professors you've never heard of before when I was, you know, 22, 23 years old. Hmm. What does preparation look like for you when you were preparing for a Matthew McConaughey interview or something like it? What do you like to do in preparation? It's a good question. So I, I try and watch the last interviews that that individual has done over the past maybe six months, just to get a feel for how, what they're like at interviews, how they would respond to certain things. And, uh, and then I just kind of look at more information about how they grew up because I always kind of lead with a question about their upbringing hmm. um, and then different projects that they're working on to focus on those as well. So it's the whole thing, if I were to say, half hour to an hour I can do per person. And I'm very efficient about doing it because sometimes it'll, it'll be six interviews a week. 
If uh, as a final question, before we move into the rapid fire questions, if you were just bringing somebody onto your team that you were going to be working with and you could snap your fingers and give them one trait, is there a trait that you would really put at your top of your list of somebody, something that you would want somebody that was working with you to have? The thing that I see lacking the most, and therefore the thing I, I think is the most valued is dependability. Hmm. I think if I were to compare just the vibe in corporate culture and, and working now versus maybe a year or two ago, it's, you really, it, it seems harder to find dependable, dependable people. And so that is something that is really important to me because I know I'm very dependable. Like if someone emails me, I'm getting back to them right away. Like I think it almost catches people off guard. And so I think that how a individual, how a leader or anyone operates, they kind of like hope for some of those same qualities in other people. And so one of, I mean, I'm very persistent. So I look for certain things that I take pride in, in other people when recruiting. Hmm. Well, that's a wonderful lead into our rapid fire questions that I get to ask all of our guests, because the first one is, if you could describe your leadership style in one word, what would that word be? Uh, probably like intense, <laughs> like intense. it's very, was... or, or honest, either intense or honest, because intense, like I have a certain level of intensity. I'm like, let's make this happen. Let's make this happen. Let's go, go, go. Um, but then, yeah. And I think that connects to, you know, I'm also honest too. Like, you know, I've seen, I feel like I've seen and been through so much that I'm just like, you know, here's the deal. I'm a, I'm definitely become compared to even like a few years ago. I'm definitely at the point where I'm just like, Here's what's happening. More so where I, you know, I would be a, a little bit more careful maybe years ago. Now I'm, I'm a little bit more blunt. I think if you ask people, they would say that. Intense, honest, and dependable. It's a nice trifecta. I like it. Okay. The <laughs> final uh, rapid fire question is this. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? I think the best advice I got probably comes from my parents. And I was working, so I was working full-time at a Fortune 200 tech company. And I was like, I will, I, there were definitely points where I wanted to leave the job because outside of work on nights and weekends, like I was like doing so many cool things that I was, I started a magazine, a blog. I had, you know, I was like starting to write a book. Like I had so much going on that I was, I was really excited about. And my parents were just like, don't rush to quit. Like, you know, continue to do what you're doing until you're ready. And I think that it's, it's this whole like idea of small steps before big leaps, patience, but with persistence. And I think that that, that's something that a lot of people miss in today's world where everyone wants instant gratification. Everyone wants, you know, to be a millionaire overnight or do all these, accomplish all these goals where, you know, I mean, I had a goal when I was in my twenties, I wanted to write like five books, but like, then the world slaps you in the face and is like, no, that's not going to happen. And then you got to like, slow down a little bit. So I think that someone like me, again, kind of connects with this idea of like intensity, like let's make this happen also has to be patient. And it's like the balance of both of those is, is where I try and sit now. That's a wonderful spot to close this out. Um, thanks so much for joining us. Where can our listeners find out more about you and your work? You can go to danshawbell.com. That's S-C-H-A-W-B-E-L.com. And that has, you know, the podcast interviews, it has a conglomerate of everything we do or go to workplaceintelligence.com for more of the stuff that we do through my company. 
Well, thank you for all of the great insight and thanks to all of our wonderful listeners for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And as always, we truly appreciate it when you share our show with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confort. You can find our show on Instagram at Ability Sims, and you can find our organization at ability.com. That is A-B-I-L. I-T-I-E. I want to thank Dan again for joining us on this episode. And of course, I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast. This podcast is produced by Ability, a leading provider of award-winning leadership development. You can find us at www.ability.com or by searching for Ability Leadership Development. Make sure to also check out our 12-week fully virtual mini MBA, the Invited MBA, a nights and weekends program that features experiential learning, mentorship, case studies, and networking. Find more information at www.invitedmba.com. Finally, be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you get our next episode. We want to thank you all for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast.